Hello, creeps. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. I'll be your ghost. I mean host for today's exciting tale of terror. Saw the fifth. <laughs> God, this is depressing. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Hi, we're, we're, we, we, are, we are returning, we are returning to the interminable franchise, the, the horror movie franchise that just won't st stay dead. You thought the, the mid-2000s were over, but now they're back. Let's carry on talking about Saw. We are up to Saw 5. That is way too many Saws. <laughs> How are you doing, Ash? Um, I, you know, I was having a really good morning, just getting a lot of stuff done, feeling nice, and then we have to sit down and talk about Saw 5, so it's it's going to be a battle from here. But, you know what? We will we will get through this. We will get through this. But before we, we, uh, before we do, it's probably worth pointing out that this, uh, this kind of massive franchise retrospective is made possible by the people who support the show on Patreon. If you would like early access to everything that we release, a whole bunch of bonus episodes, and to help us keep the lights on and the movies flowing into the HV crypt, please do go to patreon.com slash horror vanguard and chip in a few bucks to keep the show on the road. And I, I would just like to add to that uh, really quickly, if I may, that even, even while watching some of the more interesting films in our uh, little catalog here, Rob Zombie's Halloween, some of those Resident Evil live action movies. I, I, I've always, I've always been like, ah, what is, this is saying something interesting about society. Hmm, this movie has has ideas. But with with these last three Saw movies, I just feel, I feel parts of my brain attempting to communicate with me as a whole and telling me to flee from from the pain. Um, and I think that's worth at least less than a cup of coffee a month. <laughs> <laughs> there are there are truly some dark vibes the vibes folks are vibes they're, they're very sick they're, they're not well you've taken your horror movie review podcast for granted <laughs> uh we continue our investigation into <laughs> the life and times of former professional footballer and hair model costas mandalore aka mark hoffman where would you like to begin with with Saw the Fifth? Um, so uh, King, King Saw the Fifth. Um, the first thing I want to say is I think there's a major costuming problem in this movie. And I think that if they ever bring back the Hoffman-Strom dynamic, I demand that Hoffman wear his soccer uniform for the entire movie so I can tell them apart. <laughs> so so while, while watching this movie... Um, Strom, Strom has to escape a saw trap by giving himself a tracheotomy with a pen. And then immediately after that, we get some scenes with Strom. And I was like, wait, didn't he just like trach himself with a pen? Shouldn't there be like a consequence for that? At least a band-aid. And then, and then uh, 40 minutes to four days later, I was like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, those were the different guys that are actually the same guy. Before, before we go any further, could, would you mind if I just shared a few reviews of this movie to kind of give... Give everyone listening who maybe hasn't seen it just a sense of what we're dealing oh, with. Oh, please do. Rewatched by Jay uh, back in March. One star. If I had my head stuck in a cube and it was filling with water, I would have just simply drank all the water with my enormous mouth. <laughs> Four and a half stars. Rewatched by Lucy. 
Imagine hating this one when it features some of the best traps in the entire series. Could never be me. So 5 is so much fun. And of course, uh, four and a half stars, rewatched by Ava, ready to murder my boyfriend because he can't keep his shit straight on who is Hoffman and who is Strom. Cr- critical support for Ava's boyfriend here because that is the correct take. And we'll actually get into this later, but they're in fact the exact same character existing in a Freudian projection. It's it's very Jungian. It's very oh, Jungian, I oh, think, right? Oh, absolutely. And I think that's... We're, we're going to go out on that point, I think, because that, that, that for me was the part of Saw 5 that I, I loved the most. My, my favorite review of Saw 5 on Letterboxd is just someone who says, this movie is about a detective trying to figure out the plot of Saw's 3 and 4. I mean, that's, that's how I felt as an audience member while watching Saw 5. <laughs> this was like your drunk friend trying to explain Saw 3 and 4 at the same time. I love that so many reviews dismissed these films as, you know, like just kind of mindless torture porn and violence when... You basically need an advanced degree and literally hours of time to even understand the convoluted plot that they're trying to lay out. Just show me the lie. You know, these are not, this is not, this is not mindless uh, gore and torture porn. This is, this is ridiculously complicated, needlessly complicated plot. One, one might even say accidentally complicated. (laughs) Okay, let's, let's, let's dive into some discourse here. Should we talk about should we talk about uh, the unfolding philosophy of uh, you know the moral philosopher of post two thousand one America, uh, which is Tobin Bell or John Kramer? What what do you think about? There's the scene where where Hoffman and and uh, uh, John have their kind of first conversation. What do you what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, so so Professor uh, John Jigsaw Kramer, fresh out of teaching at a Canadian university, uh, g- gives us some insight into kind of this philosophy of crime that he's got going on here. Um, Jigsaw says uh, 65.7% of criminals are back in prison after three years, which it literally sounds like he was like reading the Wall Street Journal while building a death trap for someone who's sad. Yeah, John Kramer owning the libs with facts and logic. <laughs> <laughs> and and he, he follows it up with like, if a subject survives my method, he or she is instantly rehabilitated. Which, of course, like it, that, that echoes the Ludovico treatment from A Clockwork Orange. It's, it's got that, that same kind of logic going on here. What's great, what's great about this is that like, um, it, it basically seems that like, John Kramer has forgotten that humans are social creatures. <laughs> like, uh, you know, just because you live alone in your trap-rigged warehouse full of plans for decapitating people with Rube Goldberg machines doesn't mean that that's what everyone does, John. Right? <laughs> so it's this, this this logic of like, oh, it's an individual problem when you go, oh yeah, this seems this seems like this problem might be caused by I don't know various social systems and economic incentives that uh, mean that people who are once incarcerated are much more likely to return there. Nah, it's the, it's the people who are wrong. That's, 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 that's what it is. Well, well, he even, he even identifies this for a split second. Like this is, this is the most, I think libertarian of the Saw movies so far. Um, But he identifies this for a second. He starts talking about like a corrupt legal system is unable to help. And like, 
it's like, oh, okay, good. We have, we have isolated part of a systemic issue. Oh, wait, no. And we're immediately back to talking about like individual moral corruption right after that. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, oh, yeah, there's a corrupt legal system. Well, you know what the solution is? Get in the murder trap. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, this logic is so circuitous and baffling to me because it's like, oh, the legal system doesn't work and prisoners just return to prison. So I'm just going to recreate a carceral system, but make it infinitely worse. That should fix things, right? Uh, yeah, we call this we call this the vengeance theory of politics, right? So the whole point of the whole point of the law in, in this model is punishment. The whole point of the law, uh, judicial or criminal law, is to punish people. Um, prison is is there to punish. It's to make things worse, which is what prison does, which is why uh, prison abolition and liberation for all those uh, in, in, trapped within the carceral state. But like, uh, Jigsaw just takes this to the like the most atomized degree. So, so uh, this this idea where he's like, I'm I'm not a I'm not a killer. Ki- murder is distasteful it's like really no one believes that Mm -hmm. john (laughs) i just and that that whole like this is the most like youtube conservative logic i have ever seen the whole like oh well technically i haven't killed anyone um just because this individual refused to stick their face into a hornet's nest uh for 10 minutes in order to activate a timer that would stop a bomb uh, I didn't kill them. They killed themselves. Like, that is the most self-serving logic possible. And the fact that the movie doesn't grapple with that, you know? Like, like the movie is so earnest in the worst way possible. Like, this is this is an incredibly naive film. Like, it's taking John Kramer on his own terms... And not, and not poking and prodding that even, even a little bit. I mean, I think it's, uh, again, it depends on how you read this. If you read this as, I, I completely agree with you if you read it sincere, but I'm also like, we can totally read this as a sort of tongue-in-cheek condemnation of the police. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you go, yeah, this this is just what police do. There's a reason Hoffman is a detective. Uh, and he, what does Jigsaw offer him? He doesn't offer, like, justice, that's bullshit. What Hoffman wants is a chance to extrajudicially murder people. And that's what Jigsaw gives him. Being the Jigsaw killer is literally a cop's dream come true. <laughs> oh, well, there's there's the better Saw movie. The Saw movie that actually interrogates that, that like, fundamental framework that we're working in here. I mean, I, I actually think that, that that makes your whole argument about uh, Strom, a.k.a. Luke from Gilmore Girls, and Mark Hoffman a.k.a. former professional footballer Costas Mandalore, uh, the, the same person. You know, uh, Strom kills an innocent person, right? At, mm-hmm. the, at the end of, uh, in, in Saw 3 slash 4, that, that movie Ouroboros. Don't we also get that scene in this movie? Or is my mind now? Yes, okay. yeah, yes, 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 we do. We get it in, we get it in literally three films. Um, this is so like, nose to tail editing here. We're getting the whole saw. Nothing is wasted. It's it's a celebration of the life of the saw franchise. So like the, I I really think that like thinking it as a in retrospect as a kind of critique of 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 the police uh, makes makes it make sense that yeah obviously what does Hoffman want like this whole thing about like oh he's he's damaged and traumatized by what happens to his sister um, is like. 
you don't really buy it. He's not the most emotive guy, but he sure picks up when he gets to strap somebody into his magic pendulum. And like Hoffman's character is just so empty. Like all, all of the characters in this one are just like hardly even there. And it's like, it's so disappointing in the kind of blunted landscape of, of Saw. Like the only people that seem to have emotions are people who are like, Attempting to to murder each other with axes while while I don't know duct taped to a car battery or something. <laughs> um, there is something that's interesting about this though, which which is the um, I actually I actually really like um, and kind of find it find quite fun the central game that Hoffman has set up with our five part five participants. So five, you get it. Um, that that's this movie being clever, um, and I think this central game kind of shows an a, an attempt to sh to change something about this franchise. And I I wanted to see what you think about that. So so okay, we have to talk about who who's getting saw trapped this time around. Um, so previously up to this point in the saw trap franchise, it's you you've had some people who've who've done a bad thing or two. Um, but, but by and large, you get like, Jigsaw is, is trying to kill people who have like med medical conditions or are sad or are the people that he seems yeah, to hate yeah. the most. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, were you feeling a little bit down this morning? Well, into the nub twister with right? you. <laughs> it, that, that's like. Your chronic psoriasis has kept you from enjoying parties with your friends. Now you have to cut your head off. Like, that's his whole <laughs> shtick. Um, and so it's been the most, like, ableist, degrading shit up until this point. And now Saw is attempting, I think, to take a turn here in Saw 5. Um, but because now our... our so how would, you, how would you describe that turn? How would you, what, what has changed with our game participants? So our, 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 cast, our cast of uh, fun-loving, fun partying kids are actually a bunch of corrupt housing officials. So there's a, there's a corrupt government official who works in the Department of Housing. There's the corrupt real estate agent. There's the corrupt journalist who covered this up. Um, they're, they're all people in, that are kind of in the orbit of or directly involved in um, a, a bunch of people who died when a housing development was burnt down to make way for like uh, gentrification, um, which I think is incredibly interesting because that was John Kramer's day job before he became a saw trap killer. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so like, wouldn't he also be in the trap this time around? Wouldn't he be like the the other guy just hanging out? <laughs> um, but so so the movie is attempting to like. Like, oh, okay, these people are, like, imbricated in the systemic issue of, like, redlining and just how awful gentrification really is. Gentrification isn't bad um, because the architecture sucks and it, and it you know, levels the mom-and-pop pizzeria and replaces it with a Starbucks. Gentrification is bad because people die in the process. And, like, the, the movie is moving in that direction, but it's still fundamentally grounded in the Saw franchise history because the the linchpin that that keeps this whole thing together is a young man who is like a trust fund kid who was struggling with addiction and got duped into burning down a building he thought was empty just to get some drugs. 
And so still in this attempt to round a political corner, we have the Saw franchise blaming a man with addiction. Yes. Um, I want to, I want to kind of add a little bit of historical context to what you're saying here as well. Uh, and so my argument is that this is, this is so, this is the Saw franchise, Saw franchises attempt to deal with the American subprime mortgage crisis. Um, this film which features a whole band of mercenary property developers, speculators, fin- financiers, journalists, is released less than a month within a month of Lehman Brothers declaring Chapter Eleven bankruptcy, um, and foreclosures like shooting through the roof. And it's so deliberate that it's it's um, the the plot is housing related. Like that's the thing that happens in two thousand and eight. And I'm like, this is an attempt. This is an attempt to do, like, social critique in horror. Which, um, spoilers, they are going to absolutely ramp up that attempt in the next movie. Oh um, no! <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, 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 I think you're completely right that it's still burdened by this kind of like very uh, individualistic, paternalist uh, blame game. And so it's like, uh, I, I kind of think of it as a shift from a sort of neoliberal affect to like a, a, a more kind of like socially aware, almost millennial liberalism, because it's like 2008 was the big radicalizing moment for a lot of formerly affluent, uh, educated middle class uh, millennial types who then suddenly became very downwardly mobile because the big asset they had been promised in the form of property uh, kind of vanished into financial abstraction. And so this film then goes, oh, we can make a kind of like, we can gesture towards a critique of of uh, financial speculation as being genuinely ruinous to people's lives when you turn uh, homes, housing, and communities into speculative assets. But also, if you've got a drug addiction, you've kind of brought it out on yourself. Like that's 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 the kind of politics that it's driving at. What do you think? So I, I think this is really interesting and like I think it falls into like this this really interesting kind of generational pocket, right? Because 2008, like the oldest millennials are like early, early, mid 20s. Um, so so we're moving into the space where like we're, we're, we're just about to round the exciting corner of like the are millennials destroying X industry news cycles and and why uh, why yeah. aren't millennials Mille- having millennials. kids? Why aren't millennials doing all this other stuff? Yeah, millennials are destroying the uh, the jigsaw death trap economy. <laughs> you know, for, first we took out the subprime mortgage industry, and now we're going to take out the uh, bear trap sales. But you're quite right because, like, the whole problem, the whole cause of the subprime mortgage crisis was not the people who bought a second house because they thought they could flip it and and get rich it's the predatory uh lenders that saw these people as marks Mm -hmm. that could be ripped that could be ripped off Uh, and this idea of like oh you just find the bad people then you put them then you you put them in the 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 murder the 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 escape room from hell until they've all done the worst team bonding exercise in history and learned that maybe being a rampant individualist is bad (laughs) is is that 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 is the moral philosophy of 
a, a, of of a child. Yes, the, 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 there's something incredibly juvenile in the worst way about the Saw movies. Like I would consider these to be like incredibly naive and and deeply condescending in, in their political candor, right? Like th- this is almost like this. This feels like paternalistic. It, it was the word you used, and that is so apt. Like like that absolutely is the nail in the coffin for the political discourse that saws one through five have offered us. And I'm only assuming saws six through please stop making these are going to follow in this tradition. Oh boy. Howdy are they? Cause I know, I know the next one is uh, saw meets the health insurance executive crowd. And I, I can only <laughs> assume that it handles that with uh, uh, grace and dignity. And is just absolutely not another condescending shit show. Uh, sensitivity and nuance really are the key words of uh, the scriptwriters for Source Six. Yes, I would love that if that were true, <laughs> but it's but it's not. And it, it, it just just historically speaking, it's not going to happen. <laughs> oh dear. But yeah, I think so. The subprime mortgage crisis definitely is what this what this movie is concerned about, right? And it's attempting to do this kind of like vapid populism. You know, where it's it's just like, oh, you've you've seen this stuff on the news about people losing their homes and and the banks being too big to fail. Well, what happens if yeah. they get their comeuppance in a reverse bear trap uh, explosion room thing? Uh, yeah, absolutely. There's one other thing that we should talk about as kind of being in 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 keeping with this sort of like a quite resentful, naive politics, uh, which is. Boy, howdy, does this this film has some deep misogyny happening in it. Yeah, and it's 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 a structural issue in the Saw films as well. It's not just uh, your, your kind of day-to-day misogyny that gets scripted into movies, right? Like, like this is at the core, because the original screenplay called for um, the characters played by Megan Good and Julie Benz to just be in their underwear for the entire film. And it was only after uh, the director realized that they were uh, good actors or some vague concept like that, that he decided to let them wear clothes. And this this 100% mirrors Jigsaw's like manipulation and control of his wife. It's, it's just mm-hmm. a, a chilling life imitating art, art imitating life or a boros of misogyny in Saw 5. Um, yeah. And again, it's this kind of like hyper individualist, like John is literally controlling his ex-wife from beyond the grave. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, and it's, it's, it's sort of like uh, this, this weird obsessional uh, patriarchy is completely and explicitly linked to his overall philosophical conception of society more generally yeah absolutely uh john kramer aka mr jigsaw is 100 percent like a gorilla mindset guy he 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 is like an (laughs) an alpha male youtube fan dude he is he's a pickup artist reddit guy like he is he's ten thousand percent the the like ultimate manifestation of your like reddit incel type there is there is just one more note that you've added to our doc, which I think I should... I'm just going to read. Relatedly, is this the most ableist show we've watched? And this, I think, is like horror... You know, like, like 
disability and ability are two of the things that I think like horror struggles with the most conceptually, right? Like this, this is where horror is at some of its worst um, in terms of, you know, just very basic representational politics, right? Like horror is so much more nuanced in, in other spaces, but we, we still to this very day get horror movies where the plot is basically like this guy has a mental illness and therefore he, he puts on a clown costume and eats people or something. And, and I think saw just like, it just cartwheels into this with a gleeful smile and expects us not to like, uh, take umbrage with this. I, I don't know. What, 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 what are some of your takes on like this kind of like position of ability and disability within saw? I mean, I was really, really unhappy to, to see, uh, that they sort of went back to the, uh, guy who's putting the, the maze of razor wire from the first. Yes. Film. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, God, really? Are we? Um, and I think there is there is too little kind of like. Like there's a, there's the beginnings of like some writers trying to pay attention to like social conditions and trying to understand Jigsaw's philosophy as a tool of social satire or social critique, which is like a perfectly fine route to go from the origin point of the first saw. I think that's. Honestly, I think that kind of makes sense. You know, it's it's a goofy idea anyway, so like let's let's make it into like a satire on on but like they don't commit and the mm-hmm. politics behind it remain like woefully underexamined. Yeah, and and like I I couldn't agree more. Like that revisiting of the kind of barbed wire crawling trap from the first saw film. I I think speaks to what one of the core problems of the saw franchise from like a left political analysis perspective and that's just the exact politics they're rooted in they're rooted in a hyper individualistic hyper patriarchal ableist worldview and they're you know still attempting to pun intended crawl through the barbed wire of that and now they're trying to make it out on the other side with like a the the most ham-fisted imaginable critique of gentrification and redlining i think this brings us up to maybe the big problem that get like aside from the writing which is a pretty big issue this brings us up to the kind of big problem with their attempt to do this is that they decide to replace tobin bell uh tobin bell yes. can't really be in this anymore it's getting a bit silly so we need we need a second assistant and it's revealed to be the most boring man in existence. <laughs> I know, right? Like the person that like Tob- Tobin Bell is absolutely not admirable or good by any measure. But like, or I'm sorry, not Tobin Bell, Jigsaw. Uh, uh, to- Tobin Bell is admirable and good, <laughs> at, le- at least in his abilities on screen. Um, But like, so, so John Kramer's character is like, so darkly compelling right because john kramer is causing us to uh, one of the things that i find most interesting and most compelling about jigsaw is that because he is the kind of like pure distillation of this libertarian incel hyper individualistic political imagination we have to confront that head-on in its purest form 
you know, like, and if we find ourselves sympathetic for Jigsaw, right, that leads us to some pretty tough questions about our own politics, right? So that, that is like, okay, like, we've got, we've got something to work with here, you know, but like, Hoffman? Yeah. Who the fuck is that guy? Like, who is this like <laughs> D tier J crew model who just shows up in some of the scenes? Like, there, there's a reason why I, I legitimately like cognitively I was aware that Hoffman and Strom are two different characters, but like up until they get into the point of the movie where they're fighting for who gets to go in the box, um, again a return to seven, but like. Up until that point, like every time they pop up on screen, I'm like, wait, is this the one that's working for Jigsaw? Is this the other guy? Okay, I see the bandage on his on his neck now. This is the other guy. Uh, yeah, that it's it's so strange that you have this this charisma void. What you need is someone else who is like darkly compelling, like charismatic. You don't need to like John Kramer, but like you're interested to watch him when he's on screen. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and you are not interested to watch Hoffman on screen. You are not you are not interested to watch Costas Mandalore. Uh God love him. I think I, I'm pretty sure he's trying, but a lot of the time he just seems to be pouting through the world's worst hangover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that that's the vibe he gives off. And I mean like he, he's he's doing a bang up job of like being the like the cop. You know, like like the kind of hard nosed detective. Like he's really good at that, that that character, right? But like this is not the vehicle for that kind of character, right? He would make a great extra on like NCIS. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, that that I think he could do. That I think he would be actually quite good at. But this, uh, it's not his. It's not his. It's not his. It's not his wheelhouse. All right. Should we talk about that? Should we talk about that final scene then? Should we talk yes. about the? We 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 need to talk we about have... uh, your your subconscious homoerotic desires, uh, being in direct conflict with an internalized homophobia. We we do need to talk about that. Yeah. Uh. So, uh, Luke from Gilmore Girls, um, R.I.P. Ends up going to yet another murder warehouse. Uh, chasing down Hoffman. Um, I'm just going to describe the scene and then we can... There is a big uh, box, uh, a, a, a big coffin um, that, that Hoffman leaves a tape saying that, that, that Luke from Gilmore Girls has to get in it. Um, and he has to trust. He has to trust that that's the way that he'll survive. There is a fight. Hoffman gets thrown into it. Uh, and then, um, I don't know if you've seen uh, the trash compactor scene from Star Wars A New Hope. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much what happens to Luke from Gilmore Girls, R.I.P., who is turned into uh, a, 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 a thick, gloopy wallpaper paste. <laughs> um, what, what, what do you think about this scene? <laughs> um so there's like a behind the scenes thing that I absolutely love about this final scene. And um, Luke from Gilmore Girls did not know what was going to happen when he showed up on set. And like some some like special effects team members were like, hey, like we need to cast your arms, right? Like, like let, let's take some measurements. Let's do a mold. Um, and he's like, oh, cool. Why are we doing this? And, and, and all the special effects people were like, um, your, your character gets like 
liquefied in the final scene. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so apparently either either the memo never got to his desk or he never bothered to read ahead in the script at all, which either way, power move. <laughs> um, they, the, these, these two are basically the same character. Um, and I, you have, you have a take on this, which I absolutely love. So how, how do you make sense of this scene? Okay. Well, I, I would say that they're not basically the same character. They are the same character. They, they have, they're the same, they're the same, uh, character type, right? They're both that hard nosed detective who's, who's like down to break the rules if it means getting their man and solving the crime. Right. And they're both fully obsessed with with Jigsaw and the Jigsaw killings and catching the Jigsaw killer, right? They have no, there's no world for either of them outside of that. Um, they also dress the same, they act the same. Everything about them is entirely identical. Also, they look the same, right? Luke from Gilmore Girls and Costas Mandalore, former uh, professional footballer, are are like stunt doubles for each other, right? You could switch them out with a wig and put them in a blurry scene where somebody gets thrown out of off a roof or something and no one would know. So we, we have we have two men who are virtually identical and nothing essentially separates them. Like you said earlier that like Strom is Strom is down to just murder people too. Like it's not an issue for him either. Um, the, the only thing that's even kind of separating them is like their allegiance to the law. And even that disappears at the end when Strom decides he's going to like go rogue after he's been like uh, demoted or whatever. And so, so this, this just, this is a little bit lengthy, but just to set up that these two characters are like absolutely fundamentally identical and completely non-differentiable in any kind of meaningful sense. Right. So then why are they in conflict? Right. What what is what is the fight here? Right. And what we have is like a Jungian exploration of an internalized homophobia. Right. Like these these are these are um, this is the homosocial triangle. Right. Except it's it's now all men uh, because it's Strom and Hoffman fighting over Jigsaw um, when really Strom and Hoffman need to just be in love already. And yeah. to take it one level deeper, because Strom and Hoffman are different, it's an internalized battle, right? It's mm -hmm. it's it's this it's this focus on Jigsaw as a way to dodge the fact where they can't that they can't recognize. Oh my god! Sorry, I just like completely lost my train of thought. They're they're so homogenous as characters that my brain is is unable to articulate my point. That this is an internalized homophobia that they're attempting to struggle through. <laughs> uh, it, I mean, it literally, it literally involves um, being thrown into uh, an almost unbreakable case, uh, whilst your external self is crushed and obliterated. Mm -hmm. um, I, this subtext is there. That's all I'm saying. Right, and like, so you're thrown, you're thrown into this glass coffin. Uh, and, and by denying yourself, right? Because like, so, so Hoffman's, Hoffman's uh, saw trap message that he leaves for Strom says like, hey, you've got to trust me. Go, go in, go into this case and you'll be fine, right? It's scary and you're afraid of it, but you have to embrace this truth and things will get better. If you deny this, there's nothing left for you but becoming some kind of homogenate paste, and he can't do it. Yes, he's, yep. he's so possessed by this fear of what he is and who he is, because like 
on, on the level of just the surface text, to listen to Hoffman would be to recognize that they are, in fact, kind of the same guy. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's a super, I think it's a super interesting way of reading it. Um, and it, and it means that really, uh, like it's really a battle of a battle against the self. It's the self trying to assert itself, but it's, it's also the negation of the negation, right? Costas mm -hmm. Mandalore is a, is a void. There is no subject yep. there. There is, there is no internality. Uh, and so you have the, the negation of that negation, you know, it's externalized into another void, and then the void is uh, voided. It's it's literally <laughs> uh, it's it's literally uh, expelled. It's literally crushed into into uh, uh, abject liquid, like <laughs> you know. So w what this means then is we have Saw Six coming up with uh, with kind of no jigsaw. Right? There's mm -hmm. there's this kind of like it it de it de anchors the jigsaw killer, the traps, the games from any specific subjectivity because uh, Costas Mandalore doesn't have any. And so that's what allows the films to then try, kind of like explicitly pivot into making social critique because jigsaw becomes sort of like a free floating signifier. You know, th isn't it so interesting that the people in the game in Saw 5 wake up and go, you've got to play by the rules. It's like people already know like what the mm -hmm. social function of Jigsaw is. Yeah. So so I I love this kind of Jungian reading. And and I think it's only going to get deeper and more intense, right? So I mean like if you missed this in a previous Saw uh retrospective episode, I haven't seen I hadn't seen past Saw 3 until we started doing this. Um but I do know that Jigsaw has a Tobin Bell's Jigsaw anyway has a decreasing role as these films go forward. And I am very interested in, in kind of like, because we live in a world where like the the idea of a copycat killer and, and the kind of serial killer fandom, right? It was only a few years ago that Netflix had their Jeffrey Dahmer documentary that had people writing Medium articles on what it means to find Jeffrey Dahmer hot. So we absolutely do live in a world where people would be like, oh, hell yeah, I'm waking up in a trap death trap from Saw. I'm a huge Jigsaw yeah. fan, and I know how this is going to yeah. work. Murder me, King. <laughs> murder me, King. <laughs> okay, we're gonna we're gonna end the episode on Murder Me, King, because there's really nothing to say after that, is there? <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. And remember, stay spooky. <laughs>